Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Book of Colossians, you can kind of just go there in your Bible or your, your phone if you want to. The first passage that, uh, that we'll read is in chapter 2, and the second one's in chapter 2, and then we'll go back uh, to chapter 1, but so we'll kind of be around there. Um, the book of Colossians is one of the uh, epistles or the letters that's been written by, by the Apostle Paul. It's uh, called a prison epistle, which means that he was already in Rome and he was writing um, to, uh, you know, and sometimes God will use things in mighty ways because he felt hindered by his cell and the fact that he, Paul was in Rome and unable to go to the churches and to resolve disputes. Sometimes it's a lot easier to resolve a dispute where you can talk to somebody, isn't it? Like you have an open line of communication. You know, texting is not great because you can't like someone someone can say you know I'm fine you're like what does that mean you know there was no emoji after it there wasn't no you know just it was kind of deadpan and you know for some people like um, especially for you know some of you millennials or Gen Zers you know a little bit more what I'm talking about perhaps Um, whenever somebody responds with a one-letter response and it's K Darian what's that mean is that good no it's not good see my mom don't know that and she, yeah, okay, so you've been put on blast tonight. You always respond to your children with K. And in modern, you know, culture like that, that that's, that's not a good thing. It's just like, it's a very dismissive, irritated response to have. And we had a little text message chain between, you know, the, the kids at one point. And, we, and I think Jess said, just so everyone knows, mom doesn't know the severe implications of K. <laughs> right. Because things can be, uh, can be missed in the translation sometimes whenever uh, you're not there to say it in person. I don't like to text. I don't like to try and resolve arguments and issues by writing a 19, you know, te- and, and, and the more texts in a row, that's not good, you know, because you just, just wait till you can have a, a decent discourse because then it just keeps getting more and more and more convoluted and confused. And so the Apostle Paul is probably not real happy about the fact that he is having to resolve church disputes. Can you imagine Right, it's hard enough to resolve just like interpersonal or, or marriage disputes with texts and letters and you or you know uh, you know email or whatever, um, but to to but church splits through snail mail, right? That is that that's a nightmare. Because, like, by the time his letter in Rome would reach into, you know, Asia Minor and one of the, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the churches there and go all the way to Colossae or Colossae, where the city was, um, half the people that you're writing to correct might be dead. <laughs> like, or, or new people would have been born in the church by then. It wouldn't even be the same group of people, you know, by the time, like, it actually went by courier all the way there. However, in spite of the impediments that the Apostle Paul is having because he's in prison, he's, he's been placed under arrest, he has to pin these letters, but the Holy Spirit, um, you know, and his anointing and leading and guiding uh, preserved those letters for us to read today. So your impediment sometimes, uh, whenever you give it over to God and you stay faithful to the Lord, sometimes becomes a source of anointing and purpose and direction in your life. And in Paul's case, how many Christians, hopefully all Christians, from that day until this, 2,000 years practically later, have read these books and received the truth of God's word and it's impacted their lives and it can keep our church you know, from being damaged and, and keep us on the right track today. So thank God even for the bonds and the bondage because he can still turn that into good. He can still use it for his purposes and to bring uh, you know, his, his plan about. So thank God for it. 
This is about, when he writes this letter, it's about six years after the initial founding. You know, scholars you know, think, so the church that Paul has planted, and he's having to, by snail mail, he's got some insight. He's been hearing some things about what's going on in the church there at Colossae, and it's not great. Like, there's mixed reviews. If you read through the book, uh, you realize they're doing some stuff really well, and he really loves them, and he's happy about it. And then there's some sneaky stuff going on, some divisive stuff, some, some bad spirits that have to be addressed. And so he writes um, this prison epistle uh, to the church, addressed to the church in Colossae. He writes four of these. He writes... Um, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and also Philemon, um, which is you know, a personalized, um, you know, there's a really fancy word for it. It wouldn't help as much anyway, but it, he, he writes it in his name to Philemon, uh, you know, concerning um, Onesimus and you know, kind of that, uh, you know, this whole saga that's playing out uh, with a slave who's run away and done his master wrong. But this particular one is dealing with a church dispute. Somebody say a s- dispute. Yes. He, Paul hears... About, uh, about some dangerous heresies, which are you know, false doctrines that are counter um, to the gospel, right? Um, heresy is serious. Um, you know, it's whenever we depart from the truth, uh, you know, especially in regards to the gospel of who Jesus is. You know, there, there can be some areas where maybe you wouldn't agree with the church across the road, but we can still be in fellowship because while you might have like a difference of, of opinion on this or a difference of administration, which the Word of God teaches, that happens sometimes. Um, there are some that you know, we, we, we can't ride with them. You know, we can't roll with them. Not quite. Like, we love them, but we can't, we can't roll with them. Not, not, not really, because um, we used to have these called hymn sings. You remember those back in the day you know, in our country church out in Indiana? And we have, would have hymn sings, and you know, all the different churches would come together, you know, and they would do their thing, and, like, you know, they would sing a song, you know, and, and uh, you know, some different ones, Nazarene and some Presbyterian folks. And, you know, we, it was a community-oriented thing. It was a hymn sing. And then we had an issue um, because, you know, God bless their hearts. The Mormons wanted to attend the hymn sing, and they wanted to sing their songs, too. And we're like, oh, can't quite go there. And, like, you don't want to be mean about it, but y'all don't even believe that Jesus is, you know, the, the only begotten Son of God. Like, I, you know, like, it's one thing, you know, like, whenever, you know, there's, there's a handful of, like, you know, differences, you know, and even some pretty, you know, wide chasms. But you know, that, that was a bridge too far. Yeah, and because whenever you deviate from who Jesus is and you deny the very deity of Christ, that he is God, and in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that's a big deal. Like, I, I, can't, I cannot, like, we can't walk and teach and be taught in the same deal. Jesus is God. Yeah, uh, we believe in the triune Godhead. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe um, these things uh, that, that the Word of God has made evident, and we cannot diverge from Scripture no matter whose feelings it hurts, no matter uh, who, you know, who is nice and who's not. You, you still have to be faithful and true to the Word of God in proper doctrine and teaching. Amen? You can, you, that is never a license to treat somebody bad. We rebuke that in the name of Jesus. But at the same time, maintaining the purity of the gospel is imperative. Amen? It's important. So he hears of dangerous heresies and false doctrines being uh, propagated and taught in the church. And they're dividing the church and confusing the people. This is something you're always going to see whenever uh, false doctrine and heresy is, taught, is going to divide people. You know, it's going to cause division. It's going to cause um, you know, issues. Like the, the, whatever spirit of unity is operating the church will be broken and sundered. Um, that is going to be 
uh, you know, the, the natural effect. You cannot serve two masters. You, uh, the Word of God says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. It doesn't matter the house. You cannot be teaching two Gospels and expect things to just kind of walk around hand in hand and just keep on going. They must contradict. And division is always going to follow whenever false teaching, false gospel is being taught and propagated. So the first point, they were teaching that Christ was less than God, which led to legalism. Chapter 2 and verse 8, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, just 8 and 9 is all we, we will do right here. The Apostle Paul says, beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy. Somebody say philosophy. Philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Now, philosophy and men go together real good, like peanut butter and jelly. You know why? Because philosophy, you have the same root word, um, you know, the phy- philo uh, or phylos, and that is, that, that is man. Philosophy means, you know, the knowledge, the understanding of men. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Um, you know, the, these, you know, phylos, you know, th- this, is, uh, th- this is important. So we understand that philosophy is, uh, you know, philanthropy means helping people, right? So philosophy and men. Um, he says, to the, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So you have philosophy, men, and the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So he is drawing a very clear delineation uh, about, about people who are bringing in the philosophy of men and the world, and, 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 and which is counter to Christ and his kingdom. So he's saying, don't let them cheat you. Don't let them sell you off on something that is false, that is not real, that is, that, that is you know, partially you know, fraudulent, because in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he is the one. He is the ruler, and the, the, he has all power in, of every principality. He's the one. So don't let them come in, superimpose themselves and what they can do and who they are into the gospel story. Joe Parker don't belong in the gospel. Amen? Brother Johnny is not part of the gospel. Now, he shares the gospel. Brother Garrett shares the gospel at work. He is not part of the gospel story. We're outside of the narrative. You don't need me to get saved. You don't need nobody else to get saved. And whenever they superimpose themselves into that, it's a serious problem. A serious problem. that doctrine begins to collapse. Any preacher who says... Infers, you know what infers means? Inference is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's a subtle, subtle. It's, it's the subtext, right? And it's, that's, when, uh, that's, when, uh, that's when my wife comes in on date night and says, oh, you're, are you wearing that? Well, I'm, I'm standing here in it. My shoe's tied. I guess I'm not <laughs> going to wear this. Are you saying you don't want me to wear this? Obviously, you're in free. She didn't say nothing about it. She just said, you know, that, that question, are you going to wear that? That's inferring. That's when somebody infers. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the subject. That's when people infer. Because a lot of times, false doctrine, false teachers who come in into churches, among, uh, they're, they're a little too cagey. They're a little too sneaky uh, to just you know, blatantly, but, but they'll infer some stuff. And in this particular area, they'll infer a reliance upon themselves 
adding themselves into the equation of salvation and the church. See, the gospel is God and Jesus and the cross and me to help you with it. No, sir. No, sir. Thank God for pastors and preachers who will teach the word. Amen. I'm not, I'm not down in that. <laughs> you know, like that's, that, would be, that would be very self-defeating. Like, you know, uh, you know, praise God you know, that, that he give us you know, uh, pastors and teachers and, 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 you know, who will share the word. However, they are not part of the gospel narrative. Jesus, Christ crucified and risen again, that's it. That's what's necessary. Everything else is bonus because Jesus saves us. Amen. Everything else is built upon that. Everything else, every other person is, is a bonus. Praise God. You know, Brother L.L. L. Collins used to sing, and, and every time he'd get out his old guitar, and he would sing, and he would make up a new verse on the fly every time that he would do it. Uh, but, but the chorus was something like, if you don't go, I'm a-going, apostrophe, a apostrophe, a-going anyway. If you don't go, I'm a-going anyway. And what he was saying is, Jesus saved me. Jesus is the one, the word of God. No one else helped me to, you know, praise God that somebody would lead you to the Lord. Someone would preach the word and someone would explain to you. Uh, However, all they did was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? The way false teachers will increase their own importance and power and control will always be by diminishing Christ. Because you cannot increase your importance. And this is not just pastors or preachers. This, this can be any of us. This can be any of us. The way that we increase our own worth and value and our own power or our own, you know, our own focus must be by diminishing Christ. And that is exactly what they did. If you read through the book of Colossians, they diminished the Godhead of Christ. They diminished who he was and, and brought into question his very deity. That's what they were doing. And they superimposed themselves in some of the empty space. I'm going to get all my, my, all my sister Polly illustrations in while she is gone. I always spar with my sweet wife about eating a portion of my food. And here's my problem. It's not that I'm selfish, so step off. It's not that. It is not that. It's not what it's about. Because I, I, I offer to kill the fatted calf for her. You order whatever you want. Yep. Yeah, daddy's got it. <laughs> you, know, like, you, know, you, you go ahead. You want some fries? You go ahead. You want some, you want some more fries? You want something else? You obey the Lord. You do your thing. You order whatever it is that you would like to eat. You order. You ask them, and I will buy that for you. I would love to do that for you. However, I'm going to order exactly, Brother Johnny, ex- Ryan, exactly what I want to eat to the, de- to the degree that I want to eat it. You know, that's, amen. I, I get to work through all this stuff. Um, see, every fry that goes onto her plate must come off mine. You know, every bite that goes into her mouth from the thing that she said she didn't want none of comes out of mine. And it's not selfish because I'm out here, like I'm, I'm, I'm making it happen. Like if you want the burger, we'll order the burger. You want the fry, you want the taco, let's get it. Let's do it. Let's order it. Amen? Get exactly to the nth degree what you want because I will do the same, and then we won't have any confusion. Because if I had wanted 30% less fries, I would have ordered the small, not the medium. 
Okay? Amen. Now let's preach. The overreach of leaders and teachers comes at diminishing Christ. If a person in a false teacher assumes authority and roles that are not his, he can only do it by diminishing Christ. And that is demonic at its core. It is demonic. There are two spirits in the world that work against one another. It is the the Antichrist, that spirit of this age, and then there is the Holy Spirit, which works against, not in concert, but against each other. And so let me tell you this right here. The Holy Spirit will reveal Christ. He has been sent to reveal Christ, not even to speak of himself. He came to do the work of glorifying him who was sent. He came to show Jesus and to make his name great, to magnify Christ. Now, what other spirit works against that, and instead of trying to, uh, to, to uphold Christ and try to reveal him and to make him known, the spirit of the age, the spirit of the Antichrist, and the spirit of legalism, all th- these things will work against the Holy Spirit, and they will diminish Christ, and that's what you see in the church of Colossae. You see men who are false teachers peddling false doctrine, puffing themselves up. And you see that a lot of times you know, in the New Testament. You'll see uh, you know, people, you know, was it Simon the sorcerer who wanted to buy the power? I believe it was. And, and he would say, you know, what, do you want me, what do you want for this? Because I want to be able to have this. I want, to be, I want me to be the one laying hands and doing this, this, and this. People that pump themselves up. And, and it's no longer about the prophecy. It's about the prophet. It's no longer about the, the word. It's about the preacher. And it works against, it is an antichrist spirit. And that's what you see on display in Colossae. Men who know for them to be more important spiritually, they have to overreach. But there's not room for spiritual authority in excess of Christ. You know, if Christ is going to be who, the Lord and who he is, there's no room for, for pride and there's no room for puffed up you know, nonsense. Uh, so you have to make him smaller if you're going to get any bigger. Right? Nobody spiritually or in the natural is 100% replaceable, irreplaceable except for Jesus. Amen? Salvation, healing, restoration, and forgiveness, that is the power of Christ alone. No one else has the power. Christ alone, in Christ alone. Point number two. <laughs> She's like, he's only on point number two. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I preached like an hour already, and I said, now point number two, and the baby said, ha! <laughs> I love it. Keeping me in check. Amen. Point number two. Saving us and making us righteous was the work of the cross alone. Chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. Now we'll go to verse 11 through 15, please. Verse 11 through 15. The Word of God says, 
in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What does that mean? The circumcision made without hands. That means we're not talking about like a physiological characteristic. We're not talking about that actually playing out. We're talking about a spiritual transaction, a spiritual change. And the reason why he's using this verbiage is because in the Old Testament, um, there was a way that God would set aside that which was his. The Jews were the, the people of the circumcision. It was a physiological marker, a choice that set them aside as God's people, right? It was a choice. It was something done, you know, on the eighth day, you know, you were, you were of the circumcision. And now he's talking about the circumcision not made by hands. This is not a physical thing anymore. This is a spiritual thing. You have been set aside. So he says, by putting, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and with the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many sins has he forgiven you from whenever you come to the cross? All. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That which was contrary to us. It was not in our favor. He said, I looked at the case. It did not look good. You know? He said, I, 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 I looked, you know, he, he, Jesus is the lawyer. He's the mediator. And he's like, okay, well, I, I came in here. What do we got? We go, That's not good. We ought to settle. <laughs> you know, like, like that. You, you, you better settle while you can. Because it's not a good thing. Like, you know, you, it is stacked against you. I like the way that he says that. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He said, I was not even ashamed. I made a big deal about it whenever you were set free. The spectacle I made of your sins. And the handwriting that was against you, that real bad stuff. And you know, someone else might have said, well, you better settle because you know, it's all stacked against you. You're as guilty as sin, quite literally. I don't know what we're going to do. He took it away. He saw that it was against us, and he nailed it to the cross in his hand. And because of that, you are set free. You are absolved from your sins. Wow. Circumcision, the term used to illustrate the effort of man to make ourselves his. Let me do some teaching real quick. I, I, I hope that, that it's edifying to you uh, because it is to me. The teaching of his word and, and teaching of doctrine. Um, circumcision, that was man's effort because you know, God didn't do it, right? Whenever the baby's born and then on the eighth day of the circumcision, um, you know, God didn't you know, you come down and pff, you know, do, do the surgery. Man did through man's hands, because it was our effort, it was humanity's effort to set ourselves aside from the world and unto him, right? So what you see all throughout the Old Testament is the, the attempt, the lame attempt to get close to God, to separate ourselves from the world and to mark ourselves, to be forgiven, to be his children, you know, to, to, to be in covenant fellowship with him. And always, as, as you know, in the Old Testament, they're pursuing this and trying to achieve this. Uh, they're like, well, let, let's do it by circumcising. We can do that, and, and that's what God has said. And now that'll make us his a little bit. You know, we still have a lot of issues, but it was an attempt, right? Circumcision was an outside marking that distinguished the Jews from the Gentiles. 
It was part of a system of ritual purification. Okay, animal sacrifice and ceremonial laws that tried to make us good enough to be in relationship with God, right? The animal sacrifice, the ceremonial laws um, that, that, you know, that they tried to accomplish, and the circumcision, these are all part of a system of trying to get right, trying to do right, trying to be right, trying to be one of his people, and, and, and met with failure after failure after failure because all that those animals sacrificed throughout all the, you know, the millennia, all it could do is push back the penalty of sin. It could never absolve it. But it was completed in Jesus. Every attempt, every animal sacrificed, every ritual purification, it was completed in the precious Lamb of God. He fixed us up, boom, one time, done, done. The passion of the Christ that he went through died and rose again. So I told you all those things that we would try to do in the Old Testament. It's all completed in Jesus. We are now, instead of, we are now marked and separate from the world, no longer through the circumcision. Um, that, that's not what does it. It is now that Christ lives in us, right? We are marked by him, by the indwelling of Christ Jesus, the, in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're marked. That's how people look at us and find us a peculiar people, the KJV says, because we've been marked, not just by circumcision, but by something a whole lot more. You're a born-again believer, you are a cond- very conduit to heaven. You are saved and set apart, consecrated, because you are, he tabernacles within you. Amen? So that's number one. Uh, num- number A. Number B. We don't need the animals anymore because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So that's, that's good. That's done. Number C. We don't need a priest or mediator because he is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 teaches us this, that he is the high priest. Twice it says it. He's our mediator. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 talks about uh, there being one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus, the God-man, the one. I don't need a priest. I don't need to go to confession and absolve myself through somebody else. I don't need that because he has set us free. He is the priest. He is the goel. The word means the go-between. Amen? I don't need legalism because I don't need a system to pay a debt that he already paid. Legalism's a, a funny, it's like a buzzword. Like, everything's legalism, though, in the church now, right? Every, everything, like, everything that's actual true doctrine and, like, you know, holy living is automatically, like, buzzword, legalism. Like, you know, if you don't like the kind of coffee that the church serves, then that's legalism. You're legalism. It's always, it's always that, right? But there's a real spirit of legalism. And we need to understand that. We need to rebuke it and come against it. Now, lastly, let's talk about the solution. So, number three. Number three, the the solution. Because Paul um, has, you know, tore him up you know he's, he's been pretty strong you know and, and he's he is he corrected and he, he has kind of identified the problem that's what I've been doing a lot you know that that spirit that, that comes against Christ and tries to diminish you know the, the power and the authority of Christ uh, for their own glorification so now he gives the remedy and uh, we're almost done here are you still with me the remedy comes at the very beginning in chapter one 
chapter 1 and verse 21 through 23. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 21 through 23. Let's read about the remedy, the prescription to heal the rift, to set things right. The Word of God says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. The gospel is the answer. The gospel, the revealed work of Christ, is the solution. Now, it seems so anticlimactic sometimes because I just say, well, the, the good old gospel. What's the answer? Jesus. Well, it is, though. He is the answer. Charles Spurgeon said, there is no new gospel that is not a false gospel because the real gospel, the old gospel, is still true. There's no updates. Me and Sister Charlotte have been fighting the good fight against that Mac for a while now, and you know, we're able to uh, replace the computer. Sometimes we, we, you know, we'll see a new system update, and we'll try and update it and make it a little better so it'll stop killing us. You know, because we're, we're there trying to, you know, get the thing to work before service. And they say, hopefully we do a system update, make it better, 2.0, 2.9, 3.5, whatever, you know, the new one. And then they always make up weird name, Mojave or whatever, you know, the, uh, the, the next Apple one. There's no upgrade to the gospel. That's right. Any deviation from the good old simple gospel is a lie. It is heresy. It is demonic if it diminishes Christ. They don't get no better than the gospel. They don't get no better than Jesus, Him crucified and born and raised from the dead and coming back again. The full context of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it don't get better. It don't get any different than that. It's still the answer for a lost and dying world. It's the answer to every problem that's going on in our communities and across the world, across this nation. It's still the answer for every broken home. It's still the answer to the one who is bound under oppression and demonic attack. It is still the answer. Jesus Christ. And Him crucified, risen from the dead, with all power and authority over every sin, over every issue, over every addiction. He is still the answer for the world today. No matter what the problem is, Paul goes on through the letter and finds issues and says, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong. But then he turns them back around. What does he say? He says... If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, you'll make it. Yes. You'll win. You'll overcome. Because of the gospel. Steadfast. One translation said steady. Grounded. Feet planted. Unmoving. No matter what demonic attack comes against you, no matter what loss, no matter what discouragement, no matter what issue, put your feet 
in the shadow of the cross and do not be moved. And you'll find that that was the answer. He says it's the gospel. Pastor Dave, what, what's the answer for, you know, for, for, for heresy and, and division? The gospel. You get a, revel, a full revelation of who Jesus is, you'll figure out what everything else is supposed to be. You really get a revelation of Jesus Christ, you'll understand how to bring divisions together. If your marriage will get a revelation of Jesus Christ, He'll heal it. He'll bring it together. He will cause it to breathe again, to live again in the name of Jesus. Every area. Your finances are a wreck. Get a hold of Jesus. Get a revelation of Jesus. Come into agreement with who Jesus is, with the gospel, and he will be faithful. Jesus is the answer. What's the answer to divisions among the church? Get back to the gospel. How do you come against a false prophet or a false teacher? The gospel. Thus saith the Lord. How do you rebuke the spirit of legalism? You continue in the faith and move not away from the hope of the gospel. Aren't you grateful that it was simple enough for some dummies like us to get a hold of and not let go? So I'm not sure how you feel about that, amen. I'm glad. I'm glad he made it easy enough. He made it strong enough to rebuke every demon in hell and easy enough for me to lay hold of and not let go. What a mighty God. What a good God. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. You are saved. You're forgiven. And you're an overcomer as long as you'll stay rooted in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Amen. Praise God. Amen.